When it comes to weight management, we tend to focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. That's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up today. Welcome to episode number 401 of On the Corner, the official PitcherList.com podcast. Miros Talks Fast, joined as always by Mr. Perfect Who Cares. I like rock concerts. Nick Pollock. Nick, how you doing? What is happening? You're saying that because I went and saw Dream Theater and Devin Townsend on the night that Domingo Herman, not a fun person, not a good person, threw a perfect game. So that happens. Yes. A, a garbage person did indeed throw a perfect game, but I thought it was very funny that, you know, Nick obviously watches an immense amount of baseball, but then I text him like, hey, it happened. And what was your response? It was like, are you kidding me? Like, what? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I actually did a long breakdown of that that game on YouTube. And you really should watch it because the A's just the A's weren't very good. Yeah. Um, no surprise, but Breaking. I mean, sure, game, you have to be able to still do it and some really fun at bats in that but yeah that wasn't Domingo Herman just being the greatest thing ever that was a lot more of the A's just not being good indeed but it goes down to the history books as uh 24 asterisk really kind of 25 before I think we kind yeah, of count Armando Galarraga exists so and like and that's the thing everyone's like just put it in the record books it's like yeah. you don't even really need to because everyone who knows knows everyone um knows. We've got a brand new list. You're you're listening to this right before the the Fourth of July. Obviously, next week is is All Star Game, which we're all very excited about. Adley Rutschman going to be in the Home Run Derby, which is very thrilling. I mean, I imagine your preference is to watch the Home Run Derby over the All Star Game, anyway, right? I mean, sure, they're both fun. You know, who doesn't want to see? I remember as a kid, I cared more about the All Star Game because it was really my opportunity to actually see these guys. When I was a kid, like I didn't have MLB.tv. I just heard about these legends, you know, maybe so often I can actually see them all in one moment. And that was really fun. Now we're kind of spoiled, but we already know all these players. So it's not as exciting. And yeah, the home run derby does kind of take it because of that. I think it's better too. Um, I've got a great, this, this came in hot. I don't know if you saw it. This came from at Pat Duquette on Twitter who recommended a, on the corner. No, 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 no. Don't do that one. He said he was going to do it on Twitch. If you're going to say it switches, don't do this. (laughs) Why not? Because That's no one has any one. context for it. Only I get it. But uh, we just want to hear your passion. We don't necessarily oh care right, if we right, get it. Yeah, okay, ahead. great. So it comes from Pat Duquette, who said it on Twitch. It's going to be keyboard switches. For those who do not know, oh Nick is God. a passionate man, obviously a passionate about many things, <laughs> passionate about baseball, passionate about teaching the children the great game of basketball. Um, and he's also True. passionate about keyboard switches right so yeah. nick do you want to give us a little context there or you do you want to just die not in? really <laughs> okay great. that's fine with me it's i mean that's look fine. i like keyboards i type them i type in them all day i type like five thousand words for actually the the list today y'all bet on how many words the list is going to be and today it was 6300 right mm-hmm. uh, i write a lot because i want to convey as much possible information to all of you but i realized one day that oh my gosh i type so much on this keyboard there must be mm-hmm. A way to type faster and better. The world must have come up with this. 
And uh, I thought I was done when I th- went to this in like 2016. Then I realized that there was so much more I didn't understand back in like October. And I've been very much down this rabbit hole for the past eight months now. And uh, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot fast. As a result of us going with this theme, Pat, you have to now make a meme that is the I like turtles meme, but Nick's face saying I like keyboards, <laughs> because that's the only thing I thought of when you said I like keyboards. Just you at a fair as an eight year old going, I like keyboards. Uh, all right. We've got plenty of names to get to today, uh, including a, a, a kind of what a shakeup in uh in tier one so let's dive in a tiny little baby tier one a little bit of a swap but we've got a new sp1 i think it's the first time this person has been one i think he was always at two two is the highest i believe correct and th- it isn't he was one i thought that was the whole Before thing he has it was like 15 Gar- earned runs in back-to-back games he was sp1 Ah, uh, okay. So I stand corrected. Spencer Strider is back then at number one, followed by Garrett Cole at two. What's it called and why is it called that? He gets no reference point. Uh, I, I need to at least do this. There are three types of switches. There are the ones that are clicky, which are like you press in, it's super loud. It has a click, click to it, right? That you kind mm-hmm. of know when you first get into mechanical keyboards, that's what you think a real one sounds like. And then there are two others, which is one that isn't clicky like that. But when you press, it has a bump in the same feel. It's called a tactile one. And then there's a linear one, which is smooth all the way through. There's no bump to it, right? I've recently gotten into linears, and my favorite one is the B-Sun Raw linear, and that is just an absolute... It's insane how good and sounding it is and everything, so... Yeah, it's the B-Sun Raw linear. <laughs> I love it. This is going to be is. my most fun one yet. It's going to be my oh most my fun God. one yet. How did, how did you... No one wants to hear this. All right. I'm so sorry, everybody. Think- Fast made me do this. I think you take the tears too seriously. I don't think I think I think people are going to enjoy it just as much as they enjoy the other ones. Um, so what was it about this? You know, uh, the most recent performance against uh, Miami wasn't necessarily spotless, right? He got into a little bit of trouble and most of that trouble he got into early with kind of a rocky or second uh, inning for, for Spencer Strider. But he does end up with six and two thirds with three runs total two earned, one walk and nine K's on one hundred and nine pitches. That's three consecutive uh, starts with a hundred or more pitches from Spencer Strider as well. And you're getting what you're typically seeing in this most recent start against Miami with the 15 uh, four-seam whiffs. Was it more Garrett Cole doing what he's doing that had you dropping him, or did Strider really deserve this new number one? Do you know what Spencer Strider's slider swing strike rate is? I'm going to guess it's probably like 24 or 25. Yeah, it's 100th percentile. It's uh, it is 29.3% right That's now insane. with a 43% CSW. And so what I've said a lot about Spencer Strider's slider is that just all he needs to do is get strikes. And it was a 61% strike rate last year. I was like, hey, hopefully he can get that to 65. He's at 64 right now, and I think it's doing a pretty dang good job. Uh, Meanwhile, the four-seamer, of course, is a 72% strike rate, even more strikes than it was last year, as he's raised its swinging strike rate to 16%, which is 96 percentile. And you think, hey, wait, I expected it to be higher than that. When you realize he throws it about 60% of the time, and has that slider to 29% swing strike rate. Like, of course he has a 38% strikeout rate. And I look I look back at, like, my assessment. This is something I'm really looking forward to um, the end of the year, is looking at reading, believe it or not, all of my top 300, again, all the 42,000 words or whatever the heck it was, um, and say, okay, my assessment was this entering the year, and then this was different, and how was that different? What did I miss that might have suggested this or not? Sometimes yeah. it's like, look, I wasn't going to expect that this guy had a new changeup, and that's that, or that the strike rate just would dramatically fall. But maybe I could have seen that maybe that was a peak strike rate, not something that would stick around, right? 
So uh, I'm going to look back at this and be like, okay, I put Spencer Strider, I think it was eight um, as opposed to in the top five. And I think my biggest concerns were longevity um, and just kind of repeatability. But, you know, him versus Christian Javier, who we're going to talk about too. Uh, I was saying, look, they're kind of the same person. The, the numbers on the fastball and the numbers on the slider were very similar. So why is that Spencer Strider is just this much better versus Christian Javier? And I think the answer really is that the characteristics of Strider's fastball, just like, yeah, it, it, it's super hard, Nick. It's harder for that to fall off mm-hmm. than it is with Christian Javier's. And uh, I think I need to put more weight on that. Um, so little, well, thing, little lessons along the way that we got to, you know, always fine tuning. But Spencer Strider at this point is just like, yeah, you think of a fantasy stud, it's like, it's Strider. There's really no one else that has just been that fantasy stud like Strider. I think also, just to get back, we're talking about the difference between Christian Javier and Spencer Strider. There's a crucial difference, which is just five miles an hour of velocity, right? Well, like, right, that's, but the thing that's, was last that's, year was, well, that's my, that's exactly my point, is that their mm-hmm. numbers last year on that fastball was like, they had the same exact numbers as far as mm-hmm. swing strike rate goes. Um, they both had a ton of, uh, the VAA was amazing, the... Uh, like the strike rates, all that kind of stuff, the hard contact, a lot. it was like you couldn't decide which one was which because it looked exactly the same, but the velocity was different. And I wasn't giving enough of a um, credit to Spencer Striders. They're like, well, this is going to be more sustainable at this level mm-hmm. than Christian Javier's is. That's the biggest lesson that I have, which is obvious from the outside, but then I got too big brained about the numbers, right? So there's things yeah. like that that I'm learning and I'm like, okay, cool. This is why this is that. Uh, I do think it is funny that he does not have a pitch, including the changeup, that is under 90th percentile in swinging strike rate, which yeah. is pretty remarkable. Uh, you know, because the changeup, it, it's yeah. just kind of nuts knowing that, like, given another offseason, he could theoretically develop that changeup to be even better. Like, it's crazy yeah. to know that there could be a even better third pitch for him, even though he doesn't really I think he'll, really I think he'll do the DeGrom, which is like, DeGrom's like, why would I throw the changeup when I my fastball slider are just better? You know? Yeah, that, he could. He very well could. But I still think, listen, there are start like eight earned runs against the Mets, five earned runs against the sure. Tigers, four earned runs against Texas. He needed it. He, he needed it, right? And yeah. he, he's fantastic. Let's move on to tier two, three through ten. This is Luis Castillo, Kevin Gosman, Shohei Otani, Clayton Kershaw, Max Scherzer, Zach Gallen, Joe Ryan up at number nine, and Framber Valdez rounding out the tier at ten. What's it called and why is it called that? So uh, first and foremost, uh, Garrett Cole, by the way, his skills are getting much better. Um, with Tick Harder, his slider is much better in the past month. You're going to see mm-hmm. a second half of Garrett Cole being a de facto number one, which is why I felt those two needed their own tier. I was like, I looked at it as like, those are the two guys. Everyone else has some question mark here. I'm going to mention in tier two. I'm not going to say all of them, but you, you understand it. And so I was like, you know what? Those are the two studs. I'll just put them in a tier. Um, okay. This one is called the Boba U4Ts I'm from Gazoo. I know I'm not making this up. Uh, <laughs> this is, uh, I'm not. Uh, so when you like, so like I just, I just labeled the best linear one. Um, and to me the the best tactile, if you like that bump, which I thought I did initially, it's a Boba U4T. Those are just insanely, they are the best ones by far. See, this is, I, I, this is why I think you're wrong about people not enjoying this tier list. If I, I just saw a Wes Anderson film not too long ago and I was thinking to myself, like, Oh, it, it would be fun to give you know Nick a Wes Anderson tier, but like I don't, I don't. Yeah, you know, I'm sure you've seen a few of Wes Anderson films. You probably haven't seen every film that Wes Anderson like has done. It would be great. Yeah, exactly. But it would be difficult to do a 13 tier list. But if 13? I did it, uh, no, I'm saying we have 13. He's done. More I know. Has, has Wes Anderson done 13 films? I believe so. I believe he's done about that. Um, I don't know. That's a really good question. But you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, People, I, I could listen to someone passionately talk about a thing that they're passionate about. So that's why I don't mind doing it. We should, well, we should you. jump in to. Um, 
he's directed 24. That's interesting. Um, I didn't know that. I didn't know it was that many. I thought it was like 15 or 16. Uh, let's talk about a person that we haven't talked about in a little bit who's going to have an interesting question about his second half and Clayton Kershaw, right? So Kershaw's just been like, some. there was a funny quote today that I saw from Walker Bueller that was like, some guys are dying to get to 10 years of service time, and this is Clayton Kershaw's 10th All-Star game. Like, that's <laughs> just pretty, not that that's the All-Star amazing. Is- I love that. Yeah, it's crazy. Not that the All-Star game is the end-all be-all. I mean, Michael Lorenzen's an All-Star this year, no offense, but like, still, that's pretty remarkable. And this year, he's doing what he did last year, right? The ERA is fantastic. I mean, the, the whip is still about one. Sure, it's not 94 like it was last year, but still 105, 28% strikeout rate. The slider is picking up a 23% swing strike rate. The, the you know the, the swing strike rate on the four-seamer has never really been something that we talked about with him, or at least not in the past couple of years, but it's the called strike rate at 90th percentile. He's really just kind of doing the same old approach and then even with the, the curveball that old famous kershaw curveball it's still doing what it always does right uh although it is kind of funny that he's started locating it a little bit higher uh either way the question though is like they're probably not gonna let him pitch in the all-star game right because the dodgers yeah. are kind of nuts about his innings you have to figure that as the playoff picture gets a little bit closer if arizona starts to run away with the division maybe this is like a phantom IL stint for Clayton Kershaw. Is this a hold for you or are you kind of moving as you make a playoff push? Oh, no, I I am very much of the philosophy that you should not worry about September until about like the middle of August at most. Mm. Um, I You don't know what September holds. You have no idea at this point. We like to think, oh, man, I know it's two months ahead and... Uh, this guy is going to be exactly in the same place that he is, or this rotation is going to look like this, or he isn't going to have any sort of service time interruption in the meantime. Like, we do not know. I've even seen people, I think I actually got a really enthusiastic listener who I, I loved this, um, who sent me a whole list of expected September schedules and how it should affect my list now, because oh, you should be drafting for September schedules. And I think that's great, but also we have no idea, A, if that's going to be the same situation in September, B, that would also throw away, you know, you got to get to the playoffs in the first place. And not to mention, my list is not just exclusively head-to-head, it's also Roto, Um, so that's not fair either. Um, And three, our assumption of offenses changes a lot. I mean, like there are a lot of times that offenses are really good in in April and they're terrible by the end. You know, obviously we have some, some big ones like sure. Don't go to cores and likely the Rangers and the Dodgers and the Astros are going to be really strong. Fine. But maybe some other ones aren't as good as you think. And also we've seen some teams that are just great for a week. You know, the pirates were like the best offense in April or something like that. Right. It, It happens all the time. And to act so strongly now, when you still need to get wins now on your playoff team, you still need to ensure that you're cruising through the next two months in your Roto Leagues. Uh, I really emphasize do not overfocus for September. Look, you could win by just grabbing a guy for one day in, on a Saturday. Uh, that is, you know, maybe it's Cole Irvin who wins it for you, right? Sure. Like th- the small sample of that week, you should not focus on entirely at this point. 
Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. That's a good point. Um, Going back particularly to Kershaw, though, is there anything that has you, you know, is it just kind of what I stated that has you bringing him up the ranks and, you know, rising to nearly the top five? Uh, He's he's rising up the ranks, not because I said, hey, Kershaw deserves to be this high. It's because Zach Wheeler needed to fall and we had to remove Shane McClanahan. Hmm. Yeah, nothing about Kershaw. Sorry, buddy. Okay. All right. Is there anyone? Uh, so that kind of probably takes care of a lot of people in this tier aside, maybe Joe Ryan, but is there anyone in particular that you want Framber to bring up? Framber Valdez and him swap because Valdez, uh, we don't really know how the ankle is. Ah, there we go. All right. Let's look at tier three then, 11 through 19. Justin Furlander followed by Zach Wheeler falling five to 12. Tyler Glasnow, George Kirby up five to 14. Carlos Rodon, he did it. He appears on the list at number 15. Blake Snell at 16. Corbin Burns, Pablo Lopez at 18, followed by Joe Musgrove falling one to 19. What's it called and why is it called that? So there's a switch called Owl Labs London Fog. It's a linear switch. Ooh, that does uh, it is so good. It is, it is such a, an amazing switch. There's a problem. They, uh, You're going to laugh at this, but uh, a major thing in the hobby is lubing your switches because just to make them smoother, right? Use lubrication, okay? I know everyone Ooh, just Lordy. instantly goes to that, but like it's n- for other things fast. I didn't okay? make a sound. And theirs, a theirs is bad. They, uh, they have a, a default in the way that they lube them so that makes the switches worse. However, if you go in, which I haven't done, I'm sending them to someone else to get this done for me. If you get rid someone of them, gonna lube them. If you if yep. you get get someone else to remove the stuff that they added and then add it your own, mm-hmm. they are like the best thing. So these are all guys that are almost aces, um, and that way that London Fog is so good stuff. Uh- well, keeping with the lube theme, Carlos Rodon getting nice and lubed up down in the minor leagues with a few nice starts here. So talk to me about the uh, about, uh, you know, the back and forth and where you were deciding on how to put them and how you settled ultimately in tier three smack dab in the middle at number 15. Yeah. So uh, all these guys kind of stink. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's really tough this year of like it's only two de facto aces, I think, in Strider and Cole. And then a lot of guys that are just like, OK, you're really good, but you all have your problems already. And sure. in tier three, none of these are aces. Verlander is good, but he's not a 30% strikeout guy. He's not going to be. Zach Wheeler, I still believe in heavily, but like we know that it, the results have not been there. He's also, I think, number three in PLV or something this season. So I, it, it's weird to me how he's not doing well. Tyler Glasnow is a thrower, not a pitcher. So he really won't be that top 10 ace. George Kirby doesn't have a strikeout pitch. Blake Snell is doing so well. I think he has a, a, a 29% swing strike rate or 20, 21% over his last four starts or something stupid. That's overall, which is just insane. Uh, Corbin Burns is hopefully coming back to what he used to be, but the secondaries just haven't been as consistent. And the cutter is getting too high up. And when it's down is when he thrives. Pablo Lopez hasn't had a start where both his breaking balls and his uh, changeup are present. And Joe Musgrove slider is getting better, but it's not quite there. All these have problems. And it's really annoying to see that while you see Carlos Rodon, only issue is health. I mean, as long as he's yeah. doing what he did last year, I mean, Carlos Rodon for me is like SP number five entering the season before the injury, right? Yeah. So at this point, and everything I've heard is that he's done well in in rehab. Yes. I'm throwing him right in here in ace potential. Um, these guys are all good around him, but they're not they're not top ten SPs in my view right now. And they still have things to figure out for me to really feel that good. However, in two weeks, if Carlos Renan goes out there and has like a you know five innings at 80 pitches and eight strikeouts and one run or something like, OK, this is we're back. You know, this is going to feel really good really quickly. So I imagine he could get his aces going to ace label after his first three starts. 
Well, two things. One, I, I agree. I mean, it's been very dominant for him uh, in the minors so far. I mean, he hasn't really got he hasn't got five yet, which makes sense. They're slowly doing this, but his strikeout rates have been fantastic in all of his three starts with his most recent coming just uh, as recent as two days ago with three and two thirds. No one runs one hit, two walks and eight strikeouts, which is pretty remarkable. The other thing I do take a little uh, uh, offense to George Kirby not having any strikeout pitch. I mean, there is a there's a pretty the four seamer can get some can get some strikeouts. That's a, I, I definitely agree. Yes, there's no breaking but pitches. I mean, with that, with that four seamer being just under an 18 percent swing strike rate, his strikeout rate is 21 percent. It's well yeah. under a strikeout per nine. Right. And I uh, I mean, obviously, George Kirby goes longer in game. So I'd like to call it as 21 percent strikeout instead. But yeah, there's still he's still missing that element to mm. his game. OK. Anyone else on this tier you want to hit upon before we move on to our next? Tier? Nah, I already did a nice little thing. Trust me, guys. Wheeler. Just believe in Wheeler. Okay. That's it. Um, before we move on to tier four, then we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. Fads come and go. And nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom has created weight management programs that are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. So stop chasing health trends and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com to sign up for your trial today. All right. And we're back for tier four here, 20 through 25. Aaron Nola falls four to 20, followed by Jesus Cesardo up five to 21. James Paxton continues to rise up 10 to 22. Sandy down two further to 23. Then Bobby Miller and appearing from uh, reappearing from the aisle is Julio Urias at number 25. What's it called and why is it called that? This is Afleon Tropical Waters. This is the last S tier switch I have here. So. Uh, and yes, I do have rankings. I have done this. <laughs> I have written them out. Uh, because of Just course I did. I, this, I, my whole life is appraising things. Um, <laughs> but uh, they are really good. I haven't had as much experience with them as as the others I've mentioned. But I, I see so much potential in them. And I feel like by the end of the year, I will be loving them as much as the others. Which is just like this entire tier of Aaron mm. Nola, Jesus Lazardo, Paxton, Alcantara, Bobby Miller, and Julio Urias. Let's talk about someone in this year that we actually haven't talked about in quite some time. Uh, really haven't dedicated a lot of the time this year to him. That's probably because the performance hasn't been fantastic, but that's Aaron Nola, who who jumps up. Um, oh, excuse me, who falls no, four, I should no, say, down to 20. Uh, you, you see the start against Atlanta and you think, OK, great. I mean, you know, the curveball looks nice. It doesn't really perform super well, but then he just gets hit relatively hard by the Cubs five innings four and runs three walks four K's seven hits overall too Uh, I don't even think this was like a really just like oh it's just kind of like a singled out thing he just didn't really look all that great Um, what are you kind of making of Aaron Nola yeah the curveball for whatever reason just is not getting as many strikes as he used to 72 percent and over 70 percent in previous years just 66 percent strike rate Uh, CSW has fallen 
nine ticks as well. But the thing is, I don't really think it's that different of a pitch. I mean, it does have less lateral movement than it used to. A little bit less. Um, but I think that Aaron Nola's curveball is still a very much elite pitch. And I feel that with time, that pitch does become um, the same kind of offering that it was in the past. Uh, and, you know, I've been talking a little bit, maybe the sinker should be used less, but it still is a 27% called strike rate. I, the changeup isn't getting as many strikes as it used to. Those swing used to be about 40% plus, just 33% this year. But here's here's what I see. Um, Aaron Nola has this track record of success in bouncing back. And regardless of that ERA, which is horrendous at 4-5-1, yeah. I think there's a tendency about how good or bad a pitcher is, is too much rooted in the ERA number. Because outside of that, he has 102 strikeouts for your team. So he's on pace for 200. And he has a 112 whip, which is great to see over the amount of innings he's thrown, which is 105. He also has seven wins, which is 84th percentile. So it's really just about, all right, how is he going to get that ERA down? And I just generally think that he's not going to allow a 1.45 homer per nine, which he has so far. The previous high he had was 1.3. So that should come down. Hopefully the, the curveball gets better because it has been his entire career. Hopefully he gets more strikes than the changeup because, again, it has his entire career. And we're looking at a three-month sample right now. So give it the second half. The odds are that it'll be better than it has been thus far, while you'll still get the good whip and you'll still get the good amount of strikeouts. It's, it's I got to say it's puzzling because, you know, we joke around about the every other year curse. I, I do think there might be a little bit more to worry about with Nola. I mean, yeah, the, the, you can say the ERA is worrisome but, and, and the 112 whip is fine, but like, the, the K rate is what a, a career low for him now. I mean, twenty four percent is not terrible by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, you know, that's that's what league average or right near league average. But in looking in the again, going back to the every odd year thing for him in twenty twenty one when he had a four six three ERA, we could point towards the three thirty seven FIP and be like, okay, and we could point to the three ten BABIP and be like, okay, and we could point to like a, a what was a, a small increase in hard contact and be like, okay, it's probably fine. But then this year. The ERA is still there. The FIP is at 430, which I believe is the highest of his career. The whip is pretty much where it was in 2021. The K rate is down. The walk rate is up. And the BABIP is, what, his lowest since 2018. It's a 260. So I don't know. There's there's kind of a lot there. That, well, yeah, that's that's uh, the home run rate to me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so that's, I mean, what is the least sticky thing? Uh, yeah, home run to fly ball. No, uh, so, yeah, it was home run to fly ball, right? Yeah, it's the highest. I mean, seventeen percent right now. Last two years were underneath that. I mean, that's according to our fly balls, which are a little bit different. Um, because what defines a fly ball fast? Who knows? I mean, it's <laughs> underneath that, but it's it's one tick below it, right? It's going from sixteen yeah. to you know seventeen to sixteen percent. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It's a little also, sixty five percent left on base rate is twenty second percentile, which should get corrected as well. Hmm. Um, so it, it's, you know, XE array, according to us, which our XE array is a little bit different because we use spray direction on top of exit velocity and launching. Well, that's the biggest difference between the stack version of it. Um, it's just 350, which is 83rd percentile. So yeah. it's, he's been lucky. You could say that maybe the defense of the fills is once again a thing, but I don't really think that's a, been that been much of a problem this year for, for the Phillies. I could be wrong. Ellen Adair will text me tomorrow. I'm sure. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, I've really just, I see this and I go, look, like there are certain times for us to really freak out about stuff. I mean, Christian Javier, I think is one. Alec Manolo obviously was one. <laughs> yeah. This to me isn't one of those. Okay. Um, you know, James Paxson jumps up 10. Julio Urias reappears. Any quick hits on either of those gentlemen? 
Paxton is clearly healthy because he just went seven innings and 10 strikeouts. 7.2, I should say. Seven strikeouts, I should say, against the Jays, which is everything you want. Also, they let me go 110 pitches. Wow. Uh, I think his knee is fine. Uh, the the cutter going eight for 23 whiffs is also a very welcome surprise <laughs> considering it's been mostly the forcing that's been dominating. So yeah. really, really happy about that. And then with Urias, at the beginning of the year, he was top 15. I have him at 25 now because his command was terrible against the Royals. We expect this to get better. He'll get more into rhythm over time. I don't know if he is, if the knee is fine, or if it was just like a home alone moment in the Red Sox dugout where they were like, did you pull Paxton? No, did you pull Paxton? And then they look on the mound. And they're like, oh, my God, he's still out there. What did we do? Let's go to tier five here. This is 26 through 37, a big old chonker. 25, excuse me, 26 is uh, Lucas Giolito up eight. Uh, followed by Logan Webb. Logan Gilbert drops 8 to 28, followed by Dylan Cease, Hunter Brown, Freddie Peralta, and Yu Darvish. Then we have Tyler Wells pitching currently up at 33, followed by Justin Steele up 7 to 34. Mitch Keller, Andrew Abbott rises 17 to 36, and Reed Detmers up 23 to 37. What's it called and why is it called that? <laughs> so uh, this is Texie Strawberry Ice. Uh, they have these names that are like they 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 color the the mold you know like the plastic on the top and the bottom housing, so, and then they can have like different titles for it, whatever. It's strawberry ice, and these are switches that I think are really good, but I need them to get Lube to actually figure out if how good they are. So it's a yeah, situation where I like them a lot. I think there's more potential, but there is there is a decent chance that they just aren't that good. And that is tier okay. five. I love that. Um, let's talk about the man from Robin Hood, Men in Tights himself, Andrew Abbott. He jumps up 17. Um, most recently, I mean, he, he's, he's just kind of been on a, a little bit of a tear, right? I mean, he, he, I don't want to say he beats up on Houston because two strikeouts isn't necessarily beating up on Houston, but no one runs against Houston. Very nice. Rocky Road, he handles quite well. Absolutely shuts down the Baltimore Orioles. Then, I mean... The San Diego Padres, you want to talk about an offense that we just were all completely wrong on so far. Uh, he shuts them down, though, with seven and two thirds, one earned run, one walk and 12 Ks. Um, ends up picking up, I, I think, being the most coveted pitcher that day, picking up the Gallows Pole, the Golden Goal and the King Cole and a 41 percent CSW on the day with over five whiffs on the four seamer curveball and change up, which is quite nice. What is it about Andrew Abbott that has you putting him at number 36? So I have a quick question for you. I mean, a couple. Okay. One, uh, were you able to watch this one? The I didn't uh, actually did. Yeah, I did watch a lot of this one. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, and second, am I too high, too low, or just right on Andrew Abbott? Um. Well, if I'm doing the Nick answer, it's all about the context of the other people that are around him, right? Okay. If we look at the people below him, that's the correct answer. Not not the Nick answer. That's the right way. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Okay. That could be it. I mean, yeah. I I I'll, I'll put it this way. I very much understand your ranking of him because we've seen Mitch Keller have a higher ceiling and sustain it for a longer period of time. We've seen Justin Steele look good. We've seen. I mean, maybe you could make a case that Tyler Wells could be below him because Andrew Abbott. Has has a higher ceiling but it, Tyler you Wells has done it huh 
You of all people would say Tyler I, well, Wells. Listen, I try and be as unbiased as possible. Ty- sure. Tyler Wells is fantastic, but he also still has a terrible solo shot. Tonight, he gave up a solo shot to Anthony Volpe and Kyle Higashioka, the 8-9 hitters in the Yankees. Even though Volpe has is, is been fantastic since he had that like chicken parm dinner or whatever at his parents' place and changed yeah. his stance, it, he still has issues with solo shots, and he knows it as well. He talks about it in, in, in our interview with him. So I, I very much understand this. I am a little... I did think maybe we'd see Reed Detmers above it, but we've seen him uh-huh. falter and we haven't seen Andrew Abbott falter quite as much. Yeah. So this is the conversation I had a lot on Twitch was Andrew Abbott versus Reed Detmers. And then how do they kind of settle in with the rest of them? And this is really, really tough because a lot of this tier is filled with guys that we feel like should be aces, right? Lucas Gili has been on a great tear. He's been on, he's been doing great things. He's not actually all there with his repertoire every single time. But velocity's back. Slider's looking good, and sometimes the changeup is there. Uh, Logan Webb it doesn't have a slider, but he's just a rock. Logan Gilbert, I feel, is going to be much better moving forward, even though his four seamer has been way lower than it should be, and he's got to get the pitch back up. And the splitter hasn't been getting the whiffs it used to, but the slider's been really good for him. Uh, Dylan Cease, after looking so good for three straight starts with the slider, all of a sudden was like, "I'm going to pitch it really high or super in the dirt." I'm like, "Come on, man, just get that, just get that back." Hunter Brown, we have a lot of hope for moving forward. Um, Freddie Peralta looked much better with his fastball and, and slider last time out. You Darvish didn't even start the past week, and he's still just yeah. going to be more good than bad, so fine. You talked about Tyler Wells. Justin Steele has a four-seamer that's really a cutter, and it's really good. Um, the the locations of that, I vastly underrated it entering this year. And you mentioned Mitch Keller. So here comes Andrew Abbott and Reed Detmers. With Detmers, I'll get out of the way quickly. I love him. This is kind of what I envisioned back in April when yep. he had the increased velocity, and I've been waiting for this. What I didn't know was actually the biggest change was the slider velocity going down, becoming loopier, because I think mm-hmm. it's necessary that there's a larger gap between his fastball and his slider. And I think they're making both better because batters could be timed for one of the two and they'd be able to adjust enough on the slider. But now that not only the velocity is slower, but also there's more movement means that guys are whiffing more on that four seamer upstairs than they did before. And then you have a curveball that's coming in for a 60 percent strike rate. And that's really good. However, we've seen Reed Detmers have these little mini stretches and then falter. He also yeah. had really the skills before and didn't get those results. So I don't know how believable it is yet. I love it, but I can't say that Reed Detmers is going to be on that path when we know all the other ones ahead of him have had this for much longer success in the past, right? Then there's Andrew Abbott. I watched all of this on Twitch. We might put it out on YouTube. I don't know because it was the most casual watch of 100 pitches or so. And I'm just watching this thing and uh, Twitch chat says that their most their, f- their favorite thing is watching disappointed Nick. It's like a dad who's just like, oh, man, I can't believe. And that. I'm disappointed at Andrew Abbott and I'm disappointed at the Padres. And I saw so many pitches that were just either in two O counts or two one counts. This is a huge thing about me is swing decisions from hitters in two O counts or two one counts where these are three one or whatever. And. Are you swinging at pitches that you can drive or not? And if you're not, if and you know there's a 2-0 curveball coming in uh, that never gets to the plate, why are you swinging at this and missing? You should never, if it stays away the entire time as a hitter, you don't do this. This entire game, the Padres, I mean, sometimes Juan Soto had the best at-bats against him, against him and did well, got two hits that day. Or a big drive also to center that almost went out. Um, amazing play in center field by Fredell. Uh, Andrew Abbott was not nearly as good as the line suggested. Now, one thing I will mention, and I really want to make this a point, is that I was very out on Andrew Abbott, and I've since been like, hey, guys, I screwed up because clearly 
he's doing something that I've missed and he's been so good for your fantasy teams. I was like, yeah, maybe for these two starts, but I'm out after the Atlanta and that's that right. Really interested right when he came up and then I was kind of out after because I don't really think he's been that good. I may be underrating what his skills are because he has the hundredth percentile in under percentage. If you don't know what that is, stack cast rates batted balls on different uh, buckets. And one of them is extreme high launch angles. Think mm-hmm. like super pop-ups, you know, the, the moon shots that go to shallow left field or something. Mm-hmm. That means that they're super under the ball. And those are very, very high likely outs. I mean, we're talking one of the worst batting averages allowed is that, right? Um, expected batting averages. Abbott's 100th percentile on that across the board. And it's like eight, 90th percentile on all of his pitches, thus overall 100th, right? And there's something to be said about that because I saw some of these two at one pitches or so down the middle fastballs. I'm like, this is a mistake. This is exactly the pitch they're looking for. And they pop it up. And we're not actually seeing it, I don't think, in... Uh, this is why I actually texted you. I was like, hey, what is the induced vertical break on Andrew Abbott's fastball? Because it really shocked me. And I'm looking at our stack ass numbers of it. And it looks like it's a good rise, but not necessarily the most. And I imagine induced vertical break will say, no, wait, this is actually really good. And in our pitch charts, I actually went to Kyle. I said, Kyle, can you add a table for induced vertical break and tell me percentiles? Because it looks like it's actually good. It looks like it's actually in the spot where you want it to be, um, which is kind of similar to striders of induced vertical break and good horizontal movement. On the yeah. left side. So fast, do you have it in front of you? It's above average, uh, 16, 16 inches about. Uh, 16 inches. So, so not, generally you want like 15 to 20, right? That's the range that we're going for. 15's average. You, uh, 16's okay. good. But you, if you want like but a it's not 18, 19, right? It's not like, no, it's it's not not like 18, Bryce Miller's or something like that. Exactly. So that's yeah. interesting. So he has this right now. And that I think is causing a lot of the success he's having. So then the question is, is Andrew Abbott going to continue with that, right? Is he going to continue to have a 100% under percentage? And what's really interesting to me is conceptually, uh, curveballs, changeups, sliders should not have high under percentages conceptually because how are you trying to miss the bat with those pitches? Generally, it's underneath. That's why you see a lot of guys who have high secondary offerings. They have high ground ball rates because that means their pitches are going down, which means they miss under the bat. Thus, it's a ground ball. To see so many under makes me think that, well, they're getting beat not on movement, but they're getting beat on velocity. Because that means they're out in front, and that means the bat is is already there, and they're just trying to slow it down, which means it would be a high under. So that speaks to the deception of things that I can't really tell. I, you know, the batters will tell us when there's a lot of deception, and that's likely it. That is the best understanding I have of why Andrew Abbott is having the success he is because there's something about his fastball mixed with the secondaries that batters cannot pick up if it's a secondary pitch as easy as it is for other guys. I hate banking on deception. I hate this. How yeah. many times have we talked about like Kikuchi or Jalen Beeks hiding sure. the ball? Yep. You or know? Joe, I mean, Joe Ryan too, for a while. You know, was the exact uh, same Tristan Cockroft said this to me. I remember actually going to, to Towers and they back in like 2018, just visiting, having a good time. And I got to meet Tristan for the first time. And mm-hmm. I was like, Hey, how do you feel about Jordan Montgomery? Like, you know, you went to me, he's like, yeah, not really. Said, but no, but he's really deceptive from the left side. He goes, I'll be honest, I don't really put any stock into deceptive being, you know, de- guys that have deception. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And that uh, really stuck with me. And yeah, I, I agree with him. So that that's a whole bit on Andrew Abbott. I, I stuck him at 36 because it's like, I don't think that this is going to stick around. But there are times that the results are just 
something different than my analysis. And I acknowledge that my analysis is not perfect. So I'm trying to to weigh them equally, being like, the results are this good. I don't think it's that real, but maybe I'm completely wrong. And I'm going to have him at 36. So it, Andrew Abbott. it's a beautiful Andrew Abbott breakdown. It looks like it is about slightly average on the uh, induced vertical break, but better on the vertical approach angle, which is interesting. I think there was mm. someone, it might have been... I don't remember who like it was. Combined it and the Alex. Alex Chamber, yeah, uh, that it was Cur- it was Kirby. It was George Kirby who was like uh-huh. didn't have necessarily elite induced vertical break numbers, but had just impeccable command, and right. as a result was able to have a lot of success with it. So maybe maybe that is someone. The last thing I want to say as that was a really truly a, a fantastic breakdown of Andrew Abbott there. I want to give you some some more credit for for Reed Detmers, who I know you've been kind of you know he's been lurking at the bottom of the list or towards the middle of it for quite some time as he's been struggling to put it together. But his last stretch of of six games against teams like Houston, Texas, the Dodgers, yeah. and Arizona, right? It's a thirty two percent K rate with a point nine WHIP and like a two twenty one ERA with a two eighty eight FIP. So that's unbelievable. Like that. That's unbelievable. Um, all right. I got my bobblehead back here. Just, <laughs> that fast. collection. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Fast, fast. Hold on. Oh, I, got, I, got, I got the Luis Castillo bobblehead in the mail. Okay. And Let's I actually see. haven't showed this. I meant to show this to Twitch stream. I didn't do it. I'll show it to you guys tomorrow morning. I need you to see his face. Okay. Oh, fast is going to live react to this. As soon as it gets unblurry, I'm like scared at this point. For like, you keep getting closer to the camera with it, it won't unblur, which yeah, makes it, it all the more terrifying. Yeah, well, come on. Oh, actually, that's that's not terrible as far as bobbleheads go. To be honest, fast. That's not that bad. This man looks inebriated. He he does look like he might have enjoyed the state of California for a little bit. I'll I'll oh give you God. that for sure. The eyes are a little hazy, but and in that, terms of like thing, otherwise it's yeah. good. He's got the hair in the back going well. He looks good. That's nice. I, I man, I'll I, be honest. Like I've wanted a Luis Castillo bobblehead ever since I saw his debut for the Reds, and I uh, I'm I'm just so happy I have this thing right now. So All Star Luis Castillo. Uh, all right, let's move on to tier six here. This is 38 through 44. We got Bailey Ober uh, up five to 38. Braxton Garrett, Zach Eflin, Nathan Eovaldi, Chris Bassett at 42 as he jumps up seven. Shane Bieber up three to 43, and Sonny Gray up 10 to 44. We're gonna get the tier name and why it's called that after this break. We're back here. Uh, I just named all the people on the tier, but what is this tier called and why is it called that? Yeah, so this is Bailey Ober, Braxton Garrett, Zach Eflin, Nathan Yavalli, Chris Bassett, Shane Bieber, Sonny Gray, and this is the Akko Cream Yellow V3. So Akko is a company that's all about discounts. They're they're like your um, not expensive switches. Like a lot of switches for a pack to like make your keyboard full is like $40 for the most part, sometimes 50 and you can mm-hmm. fill up your keyboard with these for like twenty five dollars, um, but they are they are like the best cheap linear switch in my view. They're what got me into linears in the first place. I heard the sound profile of these like, whoa, these are really deep and sound really cool and satisfying to type on, and they are. And this tier is filled with like the, hey, you're gonna start them each time out. They've been rocks for your team. Do you think they're gonna be top fifteen guys? No, but you're gonna roll with these for a good while. Um, a few fun ones to kind of talk about, but I mean. 
Let's go with the one that's, in theory, the most surprising to be up this high, this late into the season. And I guess that's kind of Bailey Ober, right? Uh, I mean, he's he's just been... You and I were texting over the weekend about the shape of his four-seamer. I don't know what the bottom of the zone did to Bailey Ober, but he is not paying any attention to it, that's for sure. Uh, there are a few quadrants near the bottom of the zone that he just has not touched this year. And it's actually kind of funny because the only times he did kind of paint the bottom of the zone uh, a few times with a few misses were actually against uh, the Orioles this past weekend. But even in that game, seven innings pitched with no one runs, two hits, no walks, and eight strikeouts on eight. 85 pitches. Uh, it, it, I honestly think that if the Twins bullpen was a little bit more taxed, they he probably would have been able to throw a complete game shutout for them. He just looked completely untouchable. Um, the changeup was really actually one of the major stories of the game as he was just ap- able to stay down and away against right-handed hitters with it, picking up a 44% CSW. The slider itself also picked up a 50% CSW. So it seems like, at least by my assessment, when he has that you know, the the slider working. We already know he's got a very good changeup, and we already know the four seamers there. This is a guy with a serious three pitch mix. What do you think about Bailey Ober? You know, the uh Shafiq sent me a text um after that okay. one nothing complete game shutout. I believe it was maybe it was the twins, maybe it was someone else. They put out a tweet saying, I understand why they're called the O's. The O's, yep. Yeah, the twins did it on their Instagram. Amazing. Absolutely yeah, good. amazing. Tip of the cap on that one. Good one. I mean, I oh these guys are so good. Um, yeah, Bailey Ober is Bailey Oberizzi, which is kind of funny because he's like outlived that nickname now. It's just yeah. Bailey Ober, you know, but it's such a perfect one. If you guys don't know, Jake Oderizzi is the one that blew our minds with how much he was just painting the top of the zone red. And then here comes Bailey Ober that just did that. It might uh, need to be Jake Oberizzi now instead. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, is he still around? I hope he is. Um, but uh, oh, but anyway, fire took him. <laughs> yeah, I. Bailey Oberizzi um, has the changeup down, and that's good right now. And he's actually pairing that fastball, which surprisingly isn't the highest uh, swing strike rate pitch. I mean, it's still good, 14%, but it's not. You know, for how much it is high location, you would mm-hmm. think there would be more whiffs than that. Um, but the changeup is doing its part down. The slider is generally working. I mean, he just goes like six innings with a consistency and like a couple on runs and about a strikeout inning, maybe a little bit more, and you love it. Uh, Sonny Gray also just kind of feasting on the Orioles in this most recent start. I wasn't as impressed uh, as I was with Bailey Ober. Is it, there were moments where his command just completely went yeah, away. That's, uh, that's Sonny Gray. It just kind of like he just it just failed him, um, but still ended the day with a, a really good start. The box score doesn't indicate, I think, how kind of in danger he was. But what is it about mm. Sonny Gray that has you rising him up 10 to 44? Well, Sonny Gray hasn't had a single outing this year above 300 runs, and I got to give him credit for that. Um, it's also been kind of interesting to see the slider um, become more of a thing for him um, recently, as he always, throughout the entire year, just kind of fluctuates with what he feels and what is good and what isn't. And you kind of see it when Sonny Gray has his breaking balls, at least one of them working it was a curveball earlier on, and now it's the slider. That's when success usually follows. So I, I kind of see it as we go through the peaks and valleys of Sunny Gray and we went through the peak and we went through the valley and now we're coming back to the peak a little bit. Um, so at this point, it's just, all right, we're just going to ride this through the end. It is a really unfortunate whip at 126. Keep that in mind as he's increased his walk rate just 9%. So if you're trying to keep off the whip a bit, then uh, you might want to avoid Sunny Gray. But the 2.5 E rate is kind of ridiculous at the moment as he has an 81% left on base rate and just a 4.6% home run per fly ball rate. 
Uh, 0.29 homer per nine for Sonny Gray. That's really been the difference maker. What else is kind of bananas about him, which kind of cracks me up, but I'm sure Sonny Gray, those who roster him, are quite familiar with what I'm about to say. <laughs> he has not won a game since April. Oh, my God. His last, all four of his wins, he's four and oh two. All four of his wins were in April. And like Nick just said, he has not given up more than three earned runs in any of his starts this year. And he has not gotten a win since April 30th. Like, if there's any better reason, like, to say, oh, wins are not a stat you should be using anymore, it's kind of that. Like, come on. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Absolutely. Uh, let's move on to tier seven here, 45 through 49. Christian Javier drops uh, 21 to 45, followed by Marcus Stroman, Brian Wu, Brian Bayo, and Jose Barrios at 49. What's it called and why is it called that? Um, I'm going to stay with Akko here, but this is the other side of it. This is like the, uh, this is the tactile side. So I talked about the linear one. I love their, their cream blues, um, and, uh, Akko cream blue V3. Actually, their pro version is better than the, uh, than the cream yellow pro. Um, it's kind of interesting. They, they, they like made like, Hey, we got a better version of this, but the cream yellow one is like higher pitched and feels different. Isn't as deep and smooth. While the blue one is like way better. It's like, oh, yeah, we, we nailed it. We made this a tighter switch and it feels so much better to, to press and everything. I, I don't understand it, but that's the situation with it. So, yeah, so it's the Cream Blue Pro V3. Where was Christian Javier? Just a, just a, that's great stuff. But uh, as we are all as <laughs> we are stuff. always doing, we are 50 minutes in and not even at pitcher 50 yet. Uh, Christian Javier uh, drops 21. Where was he before? today's disastrous start against the Rangers. I mean, I was going to lower him likely underneath. I don't know. This was really tough. I was going into this being like, I don't know what to do with Christian Javier. Um, I was thinking about putting him at 38 underneath Reed Detmers. Um, And then it just got worse. And I I don't want to judge him too harshly for the Rangers. The Rangers, yep. But just still not getting those fastball whiffs. Um, That's really the thing. You still still be getting them and he's not. And it's just a case. I I looked at it and I thought, you know what? I think all these people would rather have Zach Eflin right now. Just give me the consistency of Zach Eflin. I don't want to deal with this Christian Javier thing. So I put him all the way down to 45. I can see an argument versus, say, like Sonny Gray, Shane Bieber. That makes sense because Bieber, you don't really know what you're going to get in the second half. Same with Sonny Gray. Um, Chris Bassett, maybe you want to be off of that train. So I totally understand if you want to slot him in between Nathan Evaldi at 41, who also we don't really know a ton about. And Chris Bassett, by all means, go ahead and do that. But we're at a bad point with Javier because the movement yeah. on his four-seamer is worse. The movement on the slider is worse. He's not throwing his slider as well for strikes. He's not getting whiffs in the fastball. And I don't... We just got to kind of wait and see. I mean, he doesn't also have the track record of other guys. You know what I'm saying? Like, no, Alcantara's going to get back. Nola's going get to get it back. Wheeler. Those guys have track records of actually making this work with also sure. very, very similar stuff that they have now. With Javier, not only is it worse stuff but it's also lower track record so it's pretty worrisome yeah definitely just thinking earlier about you know all the and i I was a part of it too just kind of oh fun dark horse cy young candidate yeah um and just hasn't been there for him this year anyone else in this tier you want to hit upon before we move on to tier eight look at brian woo buddy i know you like him i do i do big fan of the woo uh big fan um what is it what is it about him that has you jumping him up uh, a few spots the four seamer still really good yeah he has a 33 percent carry it's fourth in the majors sure it's 22.2 innings but come on yeah yeah 
Uh, let's look at tier eight then. Fifty through fifty-nine. Tanner Bybee up to Charlie Morton. Uh, Yuri Perez falls thirteen after that start. Uh, it was pretty rough against Atlanta. Followed by Gavin Williams. Taj Bradley falls seven to fifty-four. Kenta Maeda. Here he is. Tarek Skubal. He's back, baby. Uh, Yusei Kikuchi down seven to fifty-seven. Fifty-eight is Lance Lynn, and fifty-nine rounding out the tier is John Gray. What's it called, and why is it called that? This is the switch sampler. You get a lot of different ones, and then you put them in your keyboard and you press them. And you don't know what you like. And some are really bad. Um, I've actually gotten in the habit of getting three instead of one. Because it's just like, like, imagine your ring finger to your index finger. You want to do that little, like, twirl. One, mm, one two, three, sure. one, two, three, you know? It's a lot better of an understanding of how the switches feel when you change and go to a different one. Instead of just doing a single press. But yeah, it's a sampler of all those. Because you could find something really amazing in here. Or you might be just like, no, 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 no this is trash. I want this away from me. That is a perfect way to talk about Tarek Skubal, who is likely going to make his season debut uh, coming off the IL from, I believe, Tommy John surgery, right? Yes. Um, this Wednesday. I mean, listen, no secret that I, I believe I don't want to speak for you, but I'm pretty sure you and I were both very excited about Tarek Skubal last year. There were certainly moments of some inconsistency from him, but gave you 117 innings of 25 percent K rate and a three five ERA with a 116 whip. That is definitely uh not going to hurt your team while i imagine there's probably a little bit of a ramp up start this week although he has had a good amount of ramp up starts yeah. in the minors this year and his velocity is hitting what i believe it should be hitting uh and that is i think it was sitting like the typical kind of 94 maybe i think he hit 96 a few times with his four seamer um from what i could see so what you want to see from Tarek Skubal and i imagine he's here because there are probably few flyers available remaining on the waiver wire that could theoretically have the same upside that Tarek Skubal could have in the second right, We just don't know what he's going to give us. I had an amazing yeah. changeup in that short sample uh, last year. Uh, tons of swing strikes in this thing. It was like a 27% swing strike rate. But, uh, you know, it's always been a story of, is Tarek Skubal going to do the thing that we want him to do? Right? Is, is he going to... I've always thought of him as having a really good four-seamer that's a Blake Snell blueprint made, uh, tailor-made pitch. Mm-hmm. Up and into right-handers, and then you have the changeup down and away, and then you have the slider down and in. Um, I think, and then also you have this big curveball that uh, could fall into the zone. Also, if he actually has that 94, actually, I think I was even hearing that he was harder than ever um, in those rehab starts. Maybe not. But if he's throwing harder and he's able to actually live upstairs, there could be something really exciting about it. But we just don't know. And it yeah. might just take time for him to get in back into any sort of command. That was always the thing with him, too, is he was never really a precision guy. Uh, which was tough for us to really lean into. So 56 is very aggressive in my view because um, it could just ultimately be a cherry bomb that lives here, and that's kind of where he ends up. And normally when it comes to an injured guy, you have to go up in future weeks. So he's around a point where it's getting close to the cliff, which is where in 12-teamers you wonder if they're worthwhile on your fantasy teams or not. And surrounded by guys like Taj Bradley, who's just like Tyler Glasnow, but a little bit worse, right? He's, that's my closest sure. top to him. Uh, Gavin Williams, who impressed us a lot with his last start, but I don't know how consistent that is. Yuri Perez, is he going to stay up in the majors for the next month or so? I don't know. I mean, I don't, I'm don't. i not going to grade him against the, uh, Atlanta, but yeah, I realize that, yeah, he's not going to be around for much, much longer. I should probably lower him. Um, and then Lance Lynn, what the heck are we going to do with Lance Lynn? I, I, I don't know. So I put Tarek above him, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough crowd. Maybe the hipsteriest hipster of all this year, Lancelot. Yeah. Um, 
Let's look to tier nine, then 60 through 73. Uh, Eduardo Rodriguez reappears at 60, followed by Jordan Montgomery, who jumps up 20 to 61. Bryce Elder, Emma Chien, Michael Soroka back at 64. Jack Flaherty, JP France, Alex Cobb returns at 67, followed by Seth Lugo, Michael Waka, Tywan Walker, Kyle Hendricks, Tony Gonsolin, and Ranger Suarez rounds out the tier at 73. What's it called and why is it called that? This is tough because... I I'm trying to think it like what is like the standard switch. I guess it's like Gateron Milky Yellows are like the if you're getting to linear switches, they're super cheap. They're like the cheapest sure. one out there. They're just like, yep, you want a good smooth switch out of the, out of the box? Like here you go. It's fine. It's there are much better ones, but of the ones I've tested, it, they are still far better than some of the terrible like plastic thin ones that are just. I don't understand why people like some of these. They're just so bad. They 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 feel so fragile and uh they, they're tinny sounding and they don't have any satisfying it, they're just trash switches i don't get it but the milky yellows are like one of the cheapest out there and they're they get the job done okay um speaking of getting the job done jordan montgomery has certainly been doing that as you tweeted uh 40 over his last 43 and a third innings pitched uh which is seven starts he's got a 166 era what are you seeing at jordan montgomery that has him near the top 50 at 61 yeah, he deserves more respect for what he's doing. I still feel like Jordan Montgomery is one of the more boring guys out there as far as starters go. Uh, it's nice to see that the changeup is getting a 20% swing strike rate again. The uh, the curveball is getting a higher CSW. It's back up to a 61% strike rate. Thank you so much for doing that. But yeah, ultimately, I just feel so bored watching his starts. Mm. He's not an electric pitcher. I, I want him to be so badly, and he's just not. Sure. Um, and it's nice that he's having this good stretch. The Cardinals, I'm sure, are very happy as they're likely to deal him. Or maybe not because they're like four and a half games or five games out of the of the division, which is hilarious. Um, but yeah, Jordan Montgomery, you're going to be starting him regularly right now, but he's still a Toby at the end of the day. The, no, the, the Cardinals? Yeah, are oh, the Cardinals going to be selling or not? I mean, they're 10 games out of the division. Oh, um, are they really? Okay. Yeah, they're 10 games yeah, out of the division <laughs> and 10 and a half out of the wild card. Yeah, that's um, not going to happen. So, yeah, Jordan yeah. Montgomery might be someone they'd be uh, that would be dealt to the wire. Okay. Uh, real quick, too, Kyle Hendricks. I mean, uh, he, 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 what, he's back? I mean, most recently, seven innings pitched against the Phillies with three runs, no walks, and four Ks. And that's kind of been the story for him. Yeah, he had a few blips with three walks, but overall, he's not giving you, a, he's, he's keeping the whip relatively low, right? So far, uh, he's got a 96 whip, which is ninth best in baseball. It's only 41 and two thirds innings, but it's one of the best defenses in baseball, if I recall correctly, in the Cubs. So, what are you thinking about Kyle Hendricks? I think that Kyle Hendricks has good changeup and sinker command right now, and I just wait for the curveball to finally return. Okay. Anyone else on this tier you want to hand upon before we move on to tier 10? Uh, I mean, there's so many guys fast. Um, I don't know. Soroka's back at him. Uh, Eduardo Rodriguez is back at him. Um, Tom Walker's the weirdest pitcher out there and whatever. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's it. That's all I got. Okay. Uh, let's go to tier 10 then 74 through 83 Kodai Senga, Andrew Heaney, Griffin Canning, Domingo Herman, uh, up seven to 77, Kyle Bradish, Luis Severino at 79, dropping 21, followed by Mackenzie Gore, JP Sears, Reese Olson, and Cutter Crawford coming in at 83. What's it called? And why is it called that? There's a whole thing of the, of the switch world called Franken switches, um, which is, so every switch is made up of really three things or four things, a, a spring, uh, a stem, a top housing and bottom housing 
and you can take apart other switches and then combine them. And then you get like a new one that's like, cool, this has this kind of housing or whatever it is in this person, this this switches stem. And it's a whole world that there's no way that I'm going to jump into because that's just too complex and too much for me. But sure. I can understand it's for some people. And I understand that there is some upside inside of it because you could get like the best switch doing it. Uh, the, what a what a perfect transition then to Luis Severino, who you know again a guy that we got excited uh, when we saw the 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 really good start against Texas. Like I guess unarguably the best offense in baseball at the moment, maybe arguably behind uh, Atlanta. But then the Cardinals just tear them apart. Uh, you know, seven earned runs, nine total runs over four innings with three walks and two Ks. Like what? Are, what is he? Is he just a full drop right now? Are you holding on? What are you doing with Luis Severino? I mean, it depends on what is on your wire, but yeah, you should be considering it. Luis Severino is very, very lost with everything that he does. I mean, the four seamer wasn't as bad as the line suggested. His last start was better than actually it was against the Rangers when he went six shutout. But the changeup and slider cutter are just not what they used to be, and it's so tough to watch right now. Now, I say this often: guys go through stretches where they are not what they're supposed to be, and. Oftentimes, you've been given the TR that is turn around right away. Severino could be wearing that right now and take it off in the second half, but I don't know when. I don't know if it will yeah. be. Maybe he'll actually need to go to the minors or you know have some time off or something to figure this out because I don't even think he can go to the minors at this point, but it's a, it's rough, and he's got to figure something out with that secondary uh, arsenal, and he doesn't have it right now. Yeah. Yep. 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 Anyone else on this tier you want to hit upon before we go to our final two tiers? Um, am I too low on Bradish fast? Um, no, because I think there is still a kind of inconsistency that is there for him. Um, I mean, maybe I could see him going in the tier above, like in putting him above Kyle Hendricks and Taiwan and and Taiwan Walker. Maybe Kyle Hendricks because there theoretically is more of a a, a strikeout ceiling for. Mm-hmm. Um, Kyle sure. Bradish, I think. Um, but I don't think it's necessarily out of the question. I mean, obviously, we saw him coming off a, a really good start against Minnesota, but we've seen him falter. We've seen him be really inefficient with his innings uh, as well. Um, yeah, I don't know. I know you really don't like his kind of cut fastball, and I, I, I kind of get that. But actually, yeah, I think he should be in, in tier nine. I think he deserves a little bit more respect when you're talking about a, a 358 ERA and a 120 whip. Because again, we're not talking top 50. We're talking about a guy who's getting you. He's 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 rosterable and he's keeping you in the game. Yeah, I, I it, the problem I see with Kyle Brash is that the slider and curveball to me are the path to success. Right, the slider is a, is his best pitch, and yeah. the curve needs to be that real number two. And if I see like an Aaron Savali in seventy percent between those two, then sure. I'm all game. That that's really cool. Maybe even sixty percent. I think there's too high of a reliance on that four seamer and sinker. I just don't think they're good pitches and they've gotten away with things lately. I just don't think they're that good. And until I really see Bradish rely on slider and curveball that I'm in, I do recognize though that he's done better than that. And without both those pitches working as of late. So, all right, so you're up to 78 and maybe I should be giving him more credit for that. And maybe I'm just underrating those two fastballs, but ultimately I think it's a wild card every single time he pitches. I uh, I hear you. Um, looking ahead, I got to say, it's so nice to see this beautiful field of green and then Johan Oviedo. Well, we'll talk about him when we get to tier 12. Let's move on to... Actually, before we do, let's. Uh, is there anyone else in this tier that you wanted to talk about before we get to this Nah, this I mean, there's meadow. also Cutter Crawford, who's kind of interesting, has a really good fastball, and then maybe he actually is going to lean on slider and sweeper 
uh, as his number two combined. That would be really, really nice. He also gets the White Sox next, which generally is like the tutor for throwing more secondary or more breaking balls as a right-hander. So hopefully we see that from Cutter Crawford because I really do think those are his best pitches and I want to see all the other ones getting shelved. Actually, to be fair, you know what I think the most interesting thing is about Cutter Crawford? That his name is, that his cutter is not his best pitch? No, it is that there's a fantastic Easter egg that you and I talk about oh, every yeah. time we bring up Cutter Crawford that people, if you don't know what it is, because if you haven't listened, you should go to the Pitcherless player pages and find it because it's the one of the best parts about the site. Absolutely. Let's move on to tier 11, 84 through 88. All green. It's, it's a meadow. We talked about it. Clark Schmidt, Aaron Savale, uh, Tommy Henry, Wade Miley up three to 87 and Martin Perez at 88. What's it called and why is it called that? When you first get into mechanical keyboards, you normally get a Cherry MX Blue, like a Razor keyboard or something like that. And I, those switches for a lot of people are like, whoa, the eye-opening one. I actually sent one to Spore when I got into this in like 2018 or something like that. I was like, you got to have one of these. And for a lot of people, that's just like enough. That's like, whoa, I've, I've seen the light. I've gotten there. And those are such terrible switches. It's the same. I mean, I could call this like Cherry MX Browns, which are just such garbage tactiles. And for a lot of people, like, no, that's good enough. That's fine. No, no, they are not. They are not just fine. So this is the Toby tier where like a lot of people think this is just fine. It's not. Uh, again, a nice transition to the guy who was the cover story uh, uh, or the head of the not the head of the list, excuse me, the head of the SP roundup a couple of days ago in Tommy Henry. Right. Five and two thirds against the Angels with two walks, eight Ks, one and run and four hits, picking up a good amount of whiffs on the changeup overall. What did you see from Tommy Henry that has him uh, appearing on the list? Sliders, baby. Sliders. <laughs> The new He's got to get uh, better all of a sudden. It's kind of wild. He just kind of like started doing this, and uh, it, it's a good pitch. I mean, there's not much more to it than that. Also, the changeup was good in his last start, but he's introduced this slider about 20% of the time or so, maybe 25% after really not throwing it at all. Um, this was across uh, Tommy Henry's, I believe, his last four starts. He really started pushing the slider. Yeah, 27% four starts ago. And it's actually happened, uh, or the last three starts, I should say. And it's, yeah, it's helped him a lot. Um, he's had good success over the last three starts because of it. And maybe there's something there with Tom, Tommy Henry. Look, it was 10 earned runs in the previous two games. And against the Guardians, he started throwing sliders. It's two runs against the Nationals, one and run against the Angels, one and run eight strikeouts. There might be something to that. Um, so I'm going to be paying attention to Tommy Henry. Uh, so you, you dinged justifiably Christian Javier for his start today, but Martin Perez still on the list at 88. You're just chalking it up to that was the Rangers. This is the Toby tier. You're in tier 11. You are not starting Toby's against good offenses. Hmm. Yeah, against you, the that's today. just the rule. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. All right, let's move on to the finals here then. Tier 12, 89 through 100. Brady Singer, Ryan Nelson appears. Uh, Dean Kramer. Yep, we're keeping with our theme of the Orioles tier with at least two pitchers in tier 12. They aren't uh, leaving. Five- Kramer and Gibson, they're either going off the list or they're being in tier 12. But they're that's not what going higher up. There's always two Orioles. It doesn't matter. I know. Who they I know. Are. Well, it's sometimes it's two. three. Sometimes it's three. Yeah, yeah. It's always a minimum of two. That's why. It's yeah, the but Orioles Dean Kramer too. and Gibson haven't done enough to get knocked out yet. So I'm not saying I'm not saying that they have by any stretch of the imagination. Watch well, Cole Irvin. Th- that's going to show up instead. I can't wait. I can't wait. <laughs> um, all right. So uh, Dean Kramer uh, up at 91. Josiah Gray 92. Johan Oviedo, largest follower, 10. Obviously, Andy also gets the Dodgers next. So I don't know what people would be thinking starting him there. Kyle Gibson at 94. Jake Irvin, then Graham Ashcraft at 96. Dean Dunning, Michael Lorenzen, Christopher Sanchez, and Keaton Wynn, our new number 100. What's it called and why is it called that? So this is um, when you get like 
a random one off of uh, Amazon. You normally don't get Cherry MX. You get like, um, they just say like blue switches or red switches. Blue switches is if you're if it's a clicky one, and then red is where it's a linear one. There's no tactile normally, and they are the worst. Like, like how you know? I guess no, it's mechanical. This will do for a mechanical switch. And it is, I, I've gotten like boards before where I just take out everything just because I want like the actual keyboard base so I can put things into it. Mm. And some, I've, I've just thrown them away. They're just such bad switches. They're just absolute, absolutely not just for like one use moment. Sure. And these guys are streamers. So here you go. I, I loved the, we should talk to wrap up the podcast, talk about number 100 and Keaton Wynn. And I love the way that you described him in your, your roundup where it, Keaton Wynn's first two pitches of his, uh, uh, I think it was second start of the well, year. It was his first start, uh, but he pitched in relief for three games. Yeah. Oh yeah. Cause this, the five inning game was, he came in for kind of long relief, right? Like he had an opener. Yes. Um, it was his first real start in earnest and he ends up doing back to black, back to back splitters to start the game. Couldn't believe it. And, it could <laughs> go on. I couldn't believe it. I mean, what a world we live in now. And I yeah. actually, I knew nothing about Keen when I love this. When a guy shows up in the round, I'm like, I don't know who this is. I'm like, okay, let's go watch him. And I haven't done any research yet because he's a reliever. I don't care. And I, I look at the first two pitches and there are splitters at 89. And I'm thinking, whoa, these are like extreme sinkers. And then I see him all of a sudden blaze like 96 upstairs. I'm like, oh, <laughs> that, those are splitters. Yeah. That's it. And I couldn't believe it. And like, it, he's exactly right, though. So many times I remember that when I was a kid, I remember starting the game with a curveball once. And I felt like I was the sneakiest, like, oh, my God, I'm going to get in trouble for this almost. <laughs> and uh, it's like, you're not supposed to do that. Yeah, you're not allowed course, to yeah. do that. But nowadays, right, you would start the fourth inning with two splitters or something like why not the start of the game when it's against George Springer, who hits first pitch fastballs all the time. Like, I get it. I love it. You know, yeah. I, I, I thought it was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, Rand, uh, Randy Wynn, uh, Keaton Wynn, uh, he has a splitter that hopefully can go underneath bats as opposed to just being his ultra zone strike pitch because mm-hmm. a four-seamer upstairs, I mean, it really is like a, it could get some really fun tunneling going with splitters actually down and then all of a sudden, zoom, there it is, that fastball yeah. uh, going upstairs at 96 on average. Uh, 18% swing strike rate is not shocking through four games on that four-seamer. But he only throws it 27% of the time because it's 58% splitters. That's crazy. 54% zone read on it. Uh, it gets hit hard is, yes, the answer is 33% hard contact rate. Mm. So even though we talk yeah. so this is, it's so crazy to me. We talk about splitters. Oh, yeah, they don't allow hard contact, you know? I don't know why I'm doing that voice. My um, favorite, yeah, my favorite baseball fan. But, it, but the thing is, because splitters are usually not in the zone. So yeah. when contact is made, it's usually on pitches that are not in the zone. But if you throw them yep. in the zone, then they're just like fastballs, right? 33% hard contact. So, I mean, obviously not just, but it's it's understand the context of which all these secondaries get thrown. It's, you know, changes things. Um, I'm curious how this plays out for when he gets to start against Seattle, who are obviously major O-swing guys. Like, they chase mm-hmm. pitches a ton. And if Wynn can actually get that pitch out of the zone um, a decent amount instead of making it a 54% zone rate, maybe there's maybe there's something there. Um, and I'm kind of curious what happens. There he is, new Mister 100. Nick, to, to wrap us up, your biggest All Star snub. Biggest All Star snub. Honestly, I haven't, cha- I haven't, I haven't taken a look. I was too busy today doing everything else. Oh. Okay, they came out like three days ago. Uh, well, that's it was okay. a busy weekend. Uh, okay. Who do you Mine, think would be for me? Probably George Kirby. Oh yeah, that's a, that's an absolute snub. 
Yeah, George Kirby. I still think you could make a sense with the way that that Tyler Wells maybe considering he like leads the league. Tyler Wells didn't make the All Star team. What? No. Why and, not? Yeah, and and Michael Lorenzen did, which is still just. Well, no, Lorenzen did just because it's the Tigers, and who else was going to represent? And I get that. I know. Put an I, I hate that Riley rule too, but it makes there. sense. It's just it don't, makes sense. Like, have them on the side, not as actually like just add another person to the team, you know. But there are still plenty of other hitters with higher wars that could have made it instead of Michael Lorenzen on the Tigers. Like, yeah, Tyler Wells should have made it. That, that's yeah. the biggest one. Yeah. Um. All right. I think that's going to do it. Nick, you, you really nailed those. You nailed those. I loved listening to them. All the colors, all the lube. I was a big yeah, fan uh-huh. of it. Um, all right. That is going to do it for episode number 401 of On the Court of the Official Pitchless.com podcast. I'm your host, Alex Fast. And I'm Nick Pollock. And we'll talk to you guys next week. 